Welcome to the Dementi Podcast. I'm Shivani, Director, Co-Founder of Museum of Crypto Art. Here is Sophia Garcia, incredible pioneer curator of maybe the most interesting art of our generation. Um, Sophia, do you want to tell us who you are, your story, anything to like kind of break the ice? Yeah, totally. Um, well, hi, I am Sophia Garcia. Um, I am the founder of Artix Code, uh, really a place to support the algorithmic arts in all the many ways. So be it private sales, special projects, exhibitions, um, anything along those lines are my jam. I work with code-based artists. Uh, we've been doing that for the last few years and it's really been incredible to see how, how much has changed in just such a short period of time. Uh, yeah, and, and now obviously like riding this wave, having the best time, uh, supporting the artists the best way that I can, advising them, advising collectors, advising institutions on all things generative art and Web3. Yay! So I, I had a couple questions in mind and then we can just like chat. Well, first of all, how was Art Basel slash the, like what is the last like six months to you in oh this space? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I will say Art Basel was so much fun. Um, it was so much fun. And it honestly, best one yet. I think one of the coolest things about it was just seeing how many digital art exhibitions there were and how much stronger they were than last year. I think uh, everyone was really quick to throw some things on a screen and call it an NFT art show uh, last year. And this year we really saw people step up. A lot of the organizers stepped up completely. So big ups to Refraction DAO, to Vertical Crypto Art, to um, oh, uh, AKG, everyone, you know, that just ki kind of came together to talk about and strengthen the conversation around uh, digital art. So it was really great. And I had the best time. We actually had to reschedule this podcast to <laughs> go for, for my, my voice was yes. gone completely. So uh, thanks again for for that. <laughs> That's so good to hear. I I definitely, um, I mean, it's interesting because it's like the last six months with crypto, yeah. it's a complete shitstorm. Oh, yes. But then with art and culture, right? Like people are still interested in the conversation and yes. the visuals, you know? So I think, I wish I, I wish I remembered the numbers, um, but we had this conversation the other day and it was really talking about how, you know, in, Right now, everyone's talking about like, oh, all of the uh, the numbers going down in terms of how many people are collecting NFTs or acquiring NFTs, how many people are using all of this stuff. And at that like you know larger level, all those numbers are going down. But when you take a step in and you look at the uh, the generative art market, it's actually completely different. And we're actually seeing the floors of certain artworks rise uh, from even more than last year. And it's been super impressive to see, even seeing QQL come out. And I think what, that was like a $17 million release um, at the end. And, you know, it's kind of just showcasing. And I think this also, we see this mirror in the real world too, like in 2007, 2008, while the financial markets were doing their thing, uh, the art world was fine. And I think, you know, art moves in a completely different way than the rest of the world. And so we can see things happening in crypto, but, you know, people buy art for so many different reasons. And um, generative art specifically has seemed to be one that really resonates with the community. And it's been incredible to see these 
artists still be able to uh, flourish despite all of the noise around um, the crypto markets. Uh, because, you know, you can still buy these works in USDC and uh, like Ferrofile, you can use your credit card. They don't necessarily have to be tied to the crypto markets. Uh, and I think that's one of like the, the fasting parts of this as well. Um, and my hope now is that a lot of the noise that came in last year around, you know, kind of these fake promises of quick quick profits, um, easy flips, things of that sort. Um, I think everyone's been hit with a reality check that that's just not how the world works. And so I'm hoping people now are um, a little bit more cautious or really just buying things that they can afford and that they like. And, you know, we can continue to, to move this conversation forward. So you started working with like the algorithmic arts, like before the blockchain, before you, before you like decided to tokenize works yes. or even like start to think about NFTs. So like when that transition happened, like why did you move to NFTs and like, what's the purpose of tokenizing artwork if you're just using USD? Yeah. I mean, okay. So the way we, the way I started working with nfts was quite serendipitous but at the same time i had been going to art and blockchain events in new york uh, there was a really mm -hmm. cool hackathon at mit where um i think this was in 2018 where i had met the the crypto punk guys uh the data uh, uh judy mom from data and all these people who were really interesting and and starting to think about tokenization and at that point the idea of a collectible, a digital collectible was already in my head. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. But um, I hadn't engaged with it in a, I guess, in a significant way. I think I did have a crypto kitty though. Um, that was one that I was like, I'll get a crypto kitty, sure. Um, but, you know, it was at that time, you know, I, since about 2015, I was really into this idea of creative coding and, um, you know, buying, promoting, Generative, generative art. And um, when we first started doing our shows, it became really clear uh, the ways in which we would have to showcase this work in order to actually get it sold. So um, really the only way before blockchain were prints. Um, there were all, uh, you know, there were really cool experimental galleries like transfer gallery and places like that, that were already selling digital art beforehand. So it's not like it was unheard of uh, to sell digital art by basically selling a, US, uh, uh, a USB drive and they have their own, uh, you know, uh, documentation of who owns it, things of that sort. But what the blockchain did was really, um, decentralize all of that in a, in a completely different manner. Also, I have a snoring dog right next to me. So if you hear okay, it's okay. I have construction noise. It's like, we're good. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, so once we started experimenting with this idea of um, tokenizing art, it really changed the way that I saw everything. So beforehand, uh, and actually this is going to be, this is going to be video, right? So the works behind mm -hmm. me here is uh, Tyler Hobbs work from uh, 20, 18 and uh this is pen plotted and when he would sell this work and when he still does this when you sell this work we get a pamphlet of the code that mm -hmm. produced it and that was kind of this way of coupling mm -hmm. up the visual asset with the actual um medium behind the scenes and that was something that i really enjoyed and so for 2019 every show that we did we would have these prints up on the wall but we would also have a binder filled with code for mm -hmm. um you know anyone who was interested uh, that they can go through and actually understand what was creating uh the, the this physical manifestation mm -hmm. of and um once we were able to 
and it's actually it's a little bit more complicated um, because there's there's two there's two there's two things there's um, kind of this like uh, the tokenization as we know it which is taking certain assets uh, tokenizing their their visuals mm-hmm. and then there's this idea of on-chain generative art um, which is a completely different framework where the code itself is stored mm-hmm. within the token and that has been the biggest uh, game changer uh, across mm-hmm. all this many thanks to Larva Labs and Art on the, blo- Art on the Blockchain I'm talking about his Twitter handle um, Eric Calderon <laughs> and, and Art Blocks and um, everything that they've done to really uh proliferate that. So um, when I first realized that there were buyers interested in just acquiring the the digital asset, that changed everything for me, like completely. Mm-hmm. But it really wasn't until 2020, when I saw the power of that, we were going to do a show in Paris, it got canceled, obviously, uh, they did an online show that was kind of a bust, I worked with the artists and said, why don't we take these works and put them on super rare. And that was the mm-hmm. first time I really experienced um, a full sale just through tokens, just through NFTs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these works were selling more than what we thought we were going to sell the prints for. You know, we hadn't even produced the prints yet. We were going to do them like by order. So we never received orders. We decided to put the digital assets on open bids and the bids were coming in and we were like, oh my God, all these people are placing bids on this artwork. Um, you know, I was fascinated by this just from a logistics point of view too. You know, I didn't have to pay for production. I didn't have to pay for shipping. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do mm-hmm. anything or the artist created the work in its in its native medium. They tokenized it. They transferred it over to me. I managed the sale, and it was done. Um, I dropped my percentage by like over ten percent because it was just like there was. I didn't have to do any of these like upfront costs that are usually mm-hmm. necessary these types of um, sales. So it was really, really cool. And um, that was like my long-winded <laughs> answer. Uh, to our really answer. But, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, it, it was it was really cool. And I think since then seeing all the different marketplaces that have popped up like art blocks like FX hash and even um Hick and Nunk when it was around, just seeing the ways in which you could acquire um, code-based artwork and its native environment was fascinating and really made me so excited not only as um a appreciator of the arts but as a collector as well so Mm -hmm. wow that's so interesting because you know i'm noticing like like so i studied art history with a focus on like public arts right and what it means for there to be like a public in any place and like cryptocurrency fascinated me because the idea of the public is outside of the authority in general Mm -hmm. you have no fiat Right. Yeah. So the authority is the group, like the public is the authority. So the consensus by which like people using crypto decide the artwork and what it means to them is such an interesting exercise of just like humanity. And yeah. I'm seeing like kind of a split in like what is like digital art that is like tokenized on blockchains because like, you know, like Adobe is going to have their own blockchain in like five yeah. years, right? Like every company will have like a blockchain versus the like, sense of mechanism and interaction but generative art is like kind of the one that does both without angering the other side yeah right (laughs) there's very much a like x copy and a you know like david o'reilly right who both like david's obviously like written off nfts now but like incredible master of digital art who tried it out figured out it it wasn't the right fit yeah. Way and then like X copies like pure hundred percent crypto, right? Like all in. I don't yeah. know. With, with generative art, like with art blocks, like what do you see? I mean, 
do you think it's like art blocks will continue and like generative art on chain will proliferate? Or do you see like generative art aside from the fact that it's being worked with crypto and just like fiat NFT generative art being the, you know, winner? Or are they like two separate ecosystems now? So the question, like, do we think that art blocks will continue its like own thing or that? Like, like do, do you think uh, tokenized algorithmic arts like need to be work need to be sold in cryptocurrency no. for the same mechanisms of like action and community to work no no but um and this is actually a conversation that i think it was during nft nyc that i was doing a panel with snowfro actually so mm -hmm. eric from, uh art blocks who he also said like we might like in order to decouple this idea of this art being a speculative asset like we need to decouple it from the speculative asset. So the crypto, like mm -hmm. cryptocurrency, yeah, like, you know, it's, it. these things can exist without the need of, it's kind of like an optional thing. And it's something that I've experimented with like all, all of last year, anytime we sold a print, anytime we sold even an artwork, it was like, do you want to pay in cash? Or do you want to pay in USDC? Cause you can pay in, you can, I mean, in, in ETH uh, and, you know, you can pay us in cash and we'll just transfer everything over to you. Well, you know, the, the sale can still happen. Um, it just, you know, it's, it's, it's optional. And we find that, you know, especially in our community, people do love to pay in uh, crypto, especially when crypto is doing well. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there, there needs to be options. And I think, we're still in this experimental phase that it's so hard to say that like, okay, you know, moving forward, I'm only going to sell my work in fiat or moving forward yeah, I'm only yeah. sell it in crypto. It's still kind of, um, you get to choose. So like in Feral file, they have the option you can pay with your credit card or you can load up a wallet there with cryptocurrency and you can decide to pay in, in either. And, um, I think it's been really interesting because we still do say like, if something was sold for five E's, for example, we're still talking about the U.S. equivalent, you know, the USD equivalent. Mm -hmm. We're yeah, still talking totally. about yeah, yeah, yeah. like, oh, it's sold for $2 million or like not, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. amount of ETH. So there's still this thing that's happening where we kind of are defaulting to USD prices anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. And I am interested to see how it, how it continues over the next few years because we do have yeah. this, this ecosystem of people who are crypto natives and are sitting on a ton of cryptocurrency and enjoy that sort of transaction while there's a whole other group of collectors who aren't mm -hmm. as, mm -hmm. you know, they, they aren't as interested in, in going all in on this ecosystem, but are maybe interested in dabbling in um, these types of acquisitions. So yeah, let's, let's see what happens. Over. I think, I think this year will be a good, uh, like 2023 will be a good indicator of like where these yeah. trends are going. Totally. Because, I mean, there's just, like, reality playing out. There's, like, yeah. ideals, right? Yeah. And then there's, like, reality of how people react. Well, um, even with the, I mean, if we want to get into a whole royalty debate, that's a whole other yeah. uh, thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's kind of a can of worms, but. I um, saw your tweet on the OpenSea thing, and I, I was like, fuck, that's yeah. horrible. <laughs> and I was yeah. also like, okay, these guys have probably lost, like, 90% of their revenue. Yeah. So yeah. they're just desperate. But at the same time, like, you know, how do you play with your ideals as a business and like yeah. the reality of needing to pay your employees? Yeah, it's it's a really nuanced thing. And it's it's kind of like 
I, I really do appreciate that now, like in their new, because I think, you know, corporations, especially in this space, tend to go really fast. It's like, oh, you know, move mm -hmm. fast sort of mentality so they're like let's just impl let's implement this and see what happens um obviously that did not work but one of my biggest qualms with them and i got on we had a call and i and i was very vocal about it was just this idea of instantly um defaulting to zero percent royalties and not even giving collectors the option like we had collectors mm -hmm. reaching out to us to honor the royalty because OpenSea wouldn't even let them. Yeah. Another yeah. thing was the fact that it was central. It was a centralized approach where it was only OpenSea enforcing yeah. this. And um, you know, I felt like it was very anti-competition and kind of like showed that they were threatened by uh, sharing the uh, like you know the fact that they were losing market share. Um, but I think that now, just with like the new updates, it's it's not perfect, but I can kind of wrap my head around this idea of like, okay, there's this now uh, decentralized or, you know, this like small group of people. What was it? OPIC? OPIC, I think it was. Yeah, they made like a group. Yeah. Yeah, this group of people. This is now no longer just managed by OpenSea. It is an optional mm -hmm. thing that you, can, that you can opt into saying, I don't want my work being sold on marketplaces that don't honor royalties. There is, a, there is something to that that I think is also um important that it's like okay yeah. maybe as a, as a community we can say we don't appreciate or i as a, as a creator i would not like my work sold yeah. on marketplaces that don't uh align with my values as a creator so there's a pro to that i just think mm -hmm. that the implementation that OpenSea did was basically putting a gun to creators head for saying sure. for sure. you don't get any of your royalties which is fucked <laughs> um and yeah. so i i didn't appreciate that at all i thought it was um and especially the communication that was my biggest another big gripe with mine that mm -hmm. why wasn't like red letters all over your website yeah. because we yeah. found out there are smart contracts was live the uh you know the yeah, smart yeah, 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 yeah. Were implemented it's at zero percent we had done this big negotiation with like this larger um you know organization and maybe we would have negotiated differently if we knew that um you know they weren't going to yeah, get yeah. or things of that sort and so now we just saw an artist one of the one of the biggest selling points of working with NFTs is artists being able to participate in the upside mm -hmm. of their success. And you know, right after a drop, you see a lot of activity, a lot of trading activity, and that's all money that would go to the artist. Like I don't get any of that money. Like I don't care. But at the same time, I care when the artist who's put in like day in and day out for like at least like months, you know, putting in to make this project a reality now they're not getting anything out of that because a corporation decided that you need to follow our rules or yeah. or else and that make makes no sense to me so um i'm glad that they made some changes i don't think that it's perfect but um you know the the whole thing about royalties is really frustrating because there's also this mm -hmm. other side where you know as a collector you can see the royalties beforehand you know what i mean yeah, you see yeah. what the breakthrough is and if you don't want to buy a project with royalties and you don't want to honor those royalties don't buy the project like yeah. that you yeah. know like don't buy into something that you clearly see the breakdown in and then mm -hmm. cry foul when it's time for you to sell it and pay the royalties that you agree to once you bought the artwork yeah. That's a whole other thing, a whole other conversation that I know a lot of collectors don't want to have, um, but it's true. And, uh, you know, yeah. this is it, it's one of the core selling points of of participating in this. I've heard yeah. this idea of like predatory royalties. 
I would like to see examples of that between an artist. I think that mm -hmm. another big issue is that NFTs being kind of a blanket statement for anything, uh, mm -hmm. where we have mm -hmm. very different assets that fall under, uh, asset classes that fall under like the NFT umbrella. So you have yeah. the yeah. profile pictures, you have like to like mint passes and all these different things. Like, and then you just have artwork for the sake of artwork. And, you know, that's, I think that's the toughest part now. I'm just like trying to create these like specialized approaches for all the different types of, um, I guess, like products, assets that are out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, OpenSea is like, I've noticed, a friend pointed out to me that like basically now they, um, they've they taken away the need to put like a currency next to an object. Like it used to be like ETH, um, like yeah. clearly. Now it's just like an optional like change to USD, right? Because I think what Reddit did was like really smart, which is they didn't use the word NFT. They yeah. just used the word digital collectible. Right. And so they've taken away the narrative of like asset scam. Yeah. And instead move somewhere else. But then the truth is, is like the fucking smart contract is the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the royalties, you know, it is up to collectors to advocate and it is on them. Yeah. Uh, and their reputation shows. Yeah. Um, I think that's one thing that we're looking at as, um, you know, like as a crew and like, you know, representing artists, how can mm -hmm. we, kind of like use positive reinforcement and and really celebrate collectors that do honor and and support artists through and through and aren't just trying to make a quick buck by trading uh, trading it and then cutting them out of you know of something like this when you know I, I don't think it's unreasonable for artists to get paid for their work and their success especially if you're making money off of it um, yeah. you know you made the decision to buy this under the under the notion that the artist will continue to get support for it. So like this idea of them being confused and being angry that they have to pay royalties will buy things that don't have royalties then maybe start pitching for mm -hmm. profile picture projects or all these different things, you know, start advocating for no royalties on those types of projects and, and, you know, vote with your wallet. Uh, I think it's yeah. like a, is a, another way of, of going about it. I, I really don't understand the argument uh, against it, especially with artists uh, yeah. with this, allowing them to actually have a career yeah and i you know there's a lot that like from the academic like m honestly most people i know in the traditional traditional art world not associated with nfts continue yeah. to say nfts are scams yeah i mean right? because that is the public discourse yeah. on them yeah of course the Ethereum foundation right like we we talked about this like only itself's work was shown like only five, whatever, eight artists from South America were curated. No talks on NFTs at DevCon. Yeah. So the the place in which you can have the conversation around something of NFTs being something other than a way to make money is, yeah. is small. And then the academic angle is like, as soon as you start talking about money, you're, you're bad. So then yeah. like you're in this like, okay, well, you do a really good job of like toying in between the two, I must say. <laughs> Um, because it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, it's difficult, but I think at the end of the day, what has always been my driving force of just like wholehearted belief into this entire art movement is, you know, the, this understanding that at a macro level, you know, the, the computer has not been around for even a hundred years yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything that we're doing with this technology is so important and we've been so ingrained in it that it's really hard to take a step at, like take a step back and actually look at what's happening. And I think that was one of the fun parts of like studying art history before getting into computer science, where you can actually see like, 
oh my God, like this is actually so cool. And yeah, this yeah. way in which uh, create like creatives and just like the human condition is being uh, translated through this new technology that we're experimenting with. And I think it's fascinating. And uh, I, you know, my bets are just in a hundred years that these are things that people are going to want to talk about and, and explore. And so regardless of what happens on the blockchain or how people use it, uh, my bet is on the arts and the culture. I, I, I think it's super mm-hmm. important. And it's like, you know, the internet as a whole, like my phone, I get scam calls every single day, <laughs> every single day on my, on my, on, on my phone all the time you get text messages like you know these weird phishing scams you get you know email like you get all these different attacks on your email like that does not make the technology inherently evil or a scam you know people there will always be bad actors um, which is very unfortunate that we have to deal with that uh but you know it it is also the reality of just human humans like there will always be shitty people uh trying to scam one another and uh, you know it's up to us to be uh you know do our due diligence across the board and you know welcomes any sort of reasonable um regulations around all of this if we really want to see it uh grow into into something but i think my another belief is just like you know when the internet first came out there's all this talk about the tech behind it all these things but when I use the computer now, I'm just using the computer. If I'm on the internet, I'm not talking about server packets. I'm not talking about anything of that sort. I'm just on a website. And I think I am pretty confident that we will just get to a point where, yeah, we're buying a digital asset and like what what's happening behind the scenes is irrelevant. Um, See, this is where like, I, I disagree a little bit. Right, because, let's talk about it. Yeah. Because like, okay. With like the agricultural revolution, right. From like going yeah. foraging to like cities, like, the, the way in which you're working and organizing dictates yeah. like the characteristics you start to have uh-huh. the things you start, the things you start to value. Uh-huh. Right. So like when you start living in one place with human beings, it's like, Oh, this is mine, not yours. So that's like when the idea of property developed. Right. And now Got we're it. like, obviously we're like transitioning to a place where a lot of people's work is on the internet. So the idea of ownership and like, needing to have a place and an identity is like becoming more and more important. Yes. Right. And I would argue that like, like blockchain, yes, but like currency that is not owned by any government actually indicates a change in the way that people are starting to think about themselves in relation to one another, like peer to peer as yes. opposed to like museum to like artist or like government to artist, you know? And yes, there's this, yeah. Keep, keep, I don't know that's, if you want to. No, no, no. Okay. That's what I was idea of peer to peer, which uh, shout out Dr. Tina Rivers Ryan on her latest exhibition, yeah. uh, which is called Peer to Peer. But I think there's also this clear need for community. Um, and this is something mm-hmm. that um, has become very, very clear when over the last, I'd say, like three, especially the last two years. So I've worked with artists on a very independent level of using a product base. I think one of the cool things about this entire uh, ecosystem was just this idea of the artists being able to fend for themselves and do what they need to do when they don't need the middleman and all these things. Um, but 
it's also become clear that a lot of artists don't want that either. You know, it's a lot. They don't want to be, uh, you know, CEOs of their company dealing with all the emails and the admin and, you know, like trying to figure out what opportunities make sense and curating their own work and, you know, just handling their own exhibitions. They don't want to do that. And so, you know, this idea of people coming together and supporting each other in a lot of like, you know, some of them being DAO-based, governance-based, sometimes it's more um, like person-to-person to communities. So like I work now, like, you know, we, we've just started representing a handful of artists and being able to work with them and, and have strategies for their career over the next few years and help them push out their work is is really, really helpful. And then let's also talk about, you know, the the ways in which the collector profile has completely transformed that is no longer mm-hmm. just individual or maybe even just a family office. You have groups of people, different types of shared treasuries out there, people voting on what they want to buy. And, um, you know, there, there is there, there is this peer to peer, but it's still this like widespread community that lives all over the world, all engaging with each other in, in different ways. And again, like pretty similar to, to the internet. Um, it's just, I guess, in the internet, we have centralized browsers, which is different, but I guess that's a different approach. Uh, it's true. It's very, everyone, no one wants to fend for themselves alone. No. For sure. Uh, it is, it, the, yeah. This ecosystem couldn't exist uh, yeah. in a vacuum, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's, and I think even after, like, and to talk about our Basel once more, it was wonderful to see so many people that, you know, I had known online that maybe I didn't know and just be able to chat with them. And again, like strengthen these relationships that we have online in person and continue to support one another um, as a whole. So yeah, uh, those are my thoughts. (laughs) No, that's great. That's great. Okay. I, so this, so Dementi did this project with Judy Chicago Mm -hmm. and Nadia um, and so this month, like, they asked me to host instead of Colburn to, like, just kind of get to a little bit more of, like, what do women bring value to? Yeah. In, in my opinion, like, what do women, how do women bring value in ways that men cannot, right? Not, like, hyper-masculine women, but, like, hyper-strong femininity and what that looks like. And I just... I've asked, you know, everyone else, and I'm especially curious for you, like when you are building an organization with mm-hmm. a vision and you need people to respect you one-on-one mm-hmm. and you don't get that respect because it happens mm-hmm. very often here. Um, what's your response and how do you want other young women through the work that you do to start to be leaders in really strong feminine ways? Oh, it's, it's actually a really tough question. Um, and I'm trying to like find some good examples in which I kind of had to stand my ground. But I think it is just that like standing your ground and um, not, you know, it's never, I've had, I've worked with men in the past that do let their um, egos and their, their, honestly, their emotions uh, get a hold of them when they feel like they're being threatened in some capacity and will respond in kind of, um, in my opinion, dramatic dramatic ways. Um, And as women, we don't really get the affordance to be able to respond that way without being completely just like, like, oh, you're dramatic, you know? So um, I try to stay as calm as possible and just stick to the facts um stick to the facts 
keep my ground. Uh, usually sometimes I won't even say anything and just move accordingly afterwards. It's a lot more of a strategic approach where it's like, okay, um, you can just watch. I, I think I use a lot of uh, those sorts of feelings to uh, power my work even more um, and to make me work even harder to just show and not tell uh, in a way, you know, it's, it's, I don't have to tell you that I'm upset, uh, but you will see in just how great this next project is that you maybe shouldn't have uh, said what you said or something along those lines, uh, which is always really, uh, really great. I, I, I it's, a, it's a petty way, but I, I it's a, it's a constructively petty approach yeah. of, of uh, dealing, dealing with that. But um, honestly, I think being able to, one of the hardest things growing up as a, you know, just like as a woman, as a girl, and kind of always being told to, you know, like calm down or whatever it may be was actually sticking up for myself. And the first time being like having to tell someone like, no, 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 this is actually what I want. And this is what, and this is how I want it to be done. Um, it was terrifying the first time. I'll never forget having to stick up for myself for the first time and kind of shaking afterwards. And, but it gets easier. You know, once you do it, it comes with practice, uh, like knowing what you want, knowing how to say it, like I, I, I do actually have to say that like I had a corporate, like I did work my few years in corporate America mm -hmm. at JP Morgan. I was super afraid of that, but I actually learned so much just seeing how a lot of the powerful women uh, at JP Morgan ran. I was actually very, very lucky. A lot of my managers were women and I was able to kind of look up to them in a way and see how they maneuvered like a predominantly male organization um, and do it with such grace and such tact. It was so, so, so impressive. And so, um, yeah, uh, that's, hopefully I answered that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> I, I, I clenched it, I clenched it at it, but my, my follow-up is like for, you know, younger women, especially through the nonprofit that you run. I mean, like what, what, do you want them to take away from, from generally like the conditions we have today, which is a man's world, but the yes. ability to move up, like what, you know, how does code influence that? How does like standing up for yourself and, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it's confidence. I mean, it's all confidence. It's kind mm -hmm. of like, you know, uh, once you learn a new skill, it, something kind of comes over you. I think when I first started to learn how to code, I was like, holy shit. I never thought that I could do something like this and I can do it. Okay, great. And then it's meeting people and they're like, Oh wait, you know how to do that? Like what? And it's, I don't know. It all kind of like builds upon itself where you have this, like if I genuinely believe that I am a good person who is moving correctly in this space and like, no matter what someone says or does, like it's not going to, affect that um mm -hmm. fully believing in myself is like the number one i guess uh protection against yeah. anything else because if if someone uh male or female with a decided to like you know feel threat or whatever and like attacked me over something about my work go for yeah. it i know that yeah. you're coming from a place because you know i i know my relationships with the artists that I work with I know my relationships with uh the people that I work with as a whole and I I know that I move with the best intentions uh and that's something that can't really be taken away uh and I don't know I think learning new skills feeling good about those skills also powering through when you feel like you're not getting it like you know it took me a while to actually like feel confident enough mm -hmm. to 
you know, code things and, and do it with being like, oh, I actually kind of like know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so I think powering through those periods of uncertainty and uh, it, it's really one of the most important things that, that you can do. Um, yeah, that's, that's really good advice. I mean, honestly, it's true, though. Your integrity is all you have. Yeah. At the end of the day. Like there's absolutely no, if you fuck it up, it's on you. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's also a thing where it's like, you know, I'm not like it's you know, I'm I'm not this person who's just like like gr- like grade A student all the time that's always doing everything. Like I you know, I, I yeah, yeah. yeah, like you know, I I I mess up just like the the other person next to me. There are so many things that I've done wrong but i think it's also just to keep moving forward keep your head up and learn from those mistakes and even if you have to make that mistake three times more like just get better every single time just a little bit like a little bit <laughs> you know like just just keep moving mm-hmm. and i think that's also like a, like no matter what just keep moving like you just got to keep it keep it going no matter what because honestly seeing especially like the news cycle over the last few years seeing all these men be so messy in the ways in which they like around the world and still go out with their fucking head up high is like insane to me so like noted i'll take from there if you guys can keep moving so can i i agree i mean i think there's a lot of false idols that Uh are dying off now which i'm really happy about Um, and the world needs to be like more intuitive and strong and like long-term and compassionate, which are feminine, like good characteristics, you know? I mean, I will say in the uh, coding arts community, uh, some of the first, like the first two, like when we were all on Instagram really before like the whole Twitter NFT popped off, there was Artix Code and there was Creative Code Art. Um, Artix Code being my Instagram account, which I was completely anonymous. I didn't want anyone to know that I was a woman. I didn't want anyone to know anything about me. That was my anonymous outlet to just share these things. And then there was Creative Code Art, which I know Itzel, um, Ixchels was also a very big part of. And so there are these communities. And if we look at communities now, um, you know, vertical crypto art and things of that sort, like, you see that there are women behind the scenes kind of making this all happen, creating these spaces for people to come mm-hmm. together and talk about this work. And um, one of the crazy parts is like w- during Artix Code, during those like few years of anonymity, which were probably from between like 2016, 2019, um, I would get messages all the time. Hey, dude, like, what's up, bro? Like, this is yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. doing. Everyone just automatically defaulted to thinking that I was a guy, um, which was funny all on its on its own. Uh, but, you know, it's also this like thing where people do this and you can have these these interests and people never are, are kind of like quick to assume that it wouldn't be a feminine interest, uh, you know, like, oh, you know how to code or I mean, I remember one of my first yeah. One of my first uh, coding courses that I had taken and we had this challenge to build something out and I had, you know, I was working on a team, but I got my first prototype working. I was like, okay, it works. And one of the guys on my team was like, it can't possibly work and like erased it and started from scratch. And I was like, "Uh, okay. And like, that was like one of like the first instances where I actually like experienced like a man re- like second guessing my ability to do something just because mm-hmm. I'm a girl. Um, and, but I think it also just shows like we are capable of doing it. And especially when people don't know that we're behind the scenes, it's even more fun for me personally. Like I love being anonymous for a really long time. It was, it was really, really fun. But I think now it's also equally important to um, show myself, and in terms of representation, 
show other women that they can do this, that they can break out. And if they're passionate and actually care, like people, people pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of really like strong uh, men in the ecosystem, like with very powerful messaging, you know, very like uh, powerful yeah, yeah. messaging. They're this and this and that. And they're they're doing this and they're building this. And like, you know, at the end of the day, they're probably just looking for a quick buck. And I think artists are also really quick to suss that out. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's having having the passion and having. Um, yeah, some of like the like the that caregiving side that that, mm-hmm. that side of like the female that really does like want to help and assist and care and meet you where you are and have you know some of that uh, you know emotional intelligence to to I know, know. When working when things aren't and and being upfront and not letting the ego drive. Which also, I mean, there are men that have this, and I can also have an ego at times, so I know that I'm not perfect. But you know, these are it they are feminine traits and I do see it in like a lot of successful women mm-hmm. in, in this space and why it is kind of, a, you do have a leg up at the end of the day because yeah. um, you know, you can, you can do these things. Uh, yeah, so. I totally agree. It's, you know, it's, it's a balance though, because like, like with Mocha, we're a team of like 11 now. And then when I'm like hiring or thinking about like people, I'm looking at like qualities way beyond gender. Right. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, I'm like, we don't have any other women on our team. Yeah. So I'm like, how do I find someone that is like both like the quality of human and yeah. the ability to uplift other women and just the fact that they are in this? So like that is like a whole equation as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it gets really difficult at that point too, because I um I've had that same struggle, but I think even on the art side, um, and I remember so there's two points so like one was uh in the generative art space and i i advise or i i used to advise art um art blocks a lot more now i'm just back on their curation board but before i was um really helping with onboarding new artists and finding new artists and trying to find more women in the generative art space was very difficult this has to do with visibility with the fact that a lot of them aren't as active on social media as the men are um and you know men tend to be a lot more uh, open to sharing their work publicly online um one of the fa- more fascinating trends that we found uh on our blocks was that a lot of the women who who applied and submitted their artwork did so blindly they had no social media we didn't even know they really existed until they applied and we were like where did you come from you know it was like this is amazing thank you so much but like why can't why couldn't we find you you know and that's like a huge a huge thing and so if you're a woman and you're listening please start sharing your work online like it's it's please please i used to be terrified of twitter and i um you know i think i've had twitter since like 2011 and i never used it because i was always scared maybe i would say stupid things here or there but i remember 2021 i was like okay enough like you just need to start speaking like you need to see like give your opinions, say what you think and who cares what happens. And it's one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, which again, it was scary at first to put my thoughts out there to be opinionated. Uh, but I think that in the end it's, it's worked out uh, pretty, pretty well. Um, yeah. So definitely do that. <laughs> definitely do that. Um, another side of this though is uh, which is equally, it could be kind of a 
controversial conversation I don't know but I've had conversations with curators who wanted to you know do a show and I've submitted um you know a male artist or something and their response is well no we want a more um you know diverse diverse, uh thing and I have to fight back and like well no like we're not going to exclude a super talented artist because you want a more diverse uh you know lineup I think we can both can exist you know this idea of of stonewalling certain artists because of their gender or their race also makes no sense in the in the case of diversity when our job here is to put forward wonderful art you know i think it's finding the balance between all of this is is going to be it's, it's it's interesting but i think that it's important that we don't think in like these binary approaches either of like only like you know we're only going to do uh this show and it's only going to be women of color or i mean like obviously those make sense and it it lives but like i'm someone who doesn't want to be on a panel that is specifically geared towards like a women in tech panel i just want to do a a panel on new media art and i just happen to be a woman on that panel um the same way like shows that i've done like i'd make it a point to make sure that there are plenty of women in our shows, but it's not in my press release. It's not what what I'm screaming from the rooftops because it should be normalized. It should be normal that women are artists and women can work in tech and women can do all of these things. And so, I don't know, I, I just want it to be normalized and I don't want it to be like, gender as a spectacle or races like it just it should just be um make a show have a really like wonderful title that has nothing to do with the fact that it's all women or that it's you know it whatever um and those are just my thoughts and obviously if people want to do it they fucking go for it but um you know i think it's it's something that um i feel pretty passionately about that i don't like it should just be normalized and i don't want to be kind of pigeonholed into like woman I don't want to be a female curator. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be a curator. You know, I don't want to be a female artist. Early 100, 100% agree. Yeah. I can't tell you, like, I've had someone come up to me in person and be like, oh my God, you're a woman of color in this space. What's it like? And, and, I, and I was like, I don't want to talk to you. You realize, yeah. you realize what you just did? You just put a circle around me and put me on the side. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's the opposite of uplifting me. Right. <laughs> and like I've found that like even the men in the space are like wonderful. I think I've only had maybe one person be condescending and like, hey, I'll take that any day, yeah. you know, over like the hundreds, if not thousands of people I've met over the last like three years in this ecosystem. Like I have to say, like art blocks, like a lot of the community there. Like I went to Marfa last year and you know, I was like it was it, there were a lot of guys there and I didn't, you know, it was wonderful. Everyone was really, really yeah. great. It was, yeah. it was it, it's things like that that make me feel really grateful for like the ethos that has been like created, especially around the arts and the generative arts. Mm-hmm. I can't speak as a whole. We know that there's some trash people out there, but you know, I, I think that within the generative arts community, there's a lot of respect around everyone who truly sees what's happening here um, amongst collectors, artists, curators, the whole lot. Um, and so for that, I'm like, so, so, so grateful. I mean, I think people are really, you know, horror stories get shared all the time. And I don't think it's enough that people actually talk about like how wonderful um, a lot of these people are and that, you know, <laughs> you know not all men <laughs> sort of thing. Like the gen art community, which is the one that I'm like really like focused in, they're 
they're wonderful. Like they're all so great. Like, you know, during, during Basel, we all, we, I was out with, there was one day that we all ended up on the beach. I was there with, and you know, I think there was one other girl, but like at no point was I like scared for my safety or like that anyone here was like, they're friends. They're all so kind and just wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think we're pretty lucky about, you know, the, the community that's been formed around all of this and the fact that, you know, we can all hang out and be happy and um, support one another. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I find that I have a lot of support in our community and it has nothing to do with the fact, like, and, and my gender doesn't, like, isn't, like, used against me, um, which is really wonderful and refreshing because if I was from the outside and I would probably assume that it would be, mm-hmm. um, and it was one of the reasons why I stayed anonymous for so long because I thought that my gender would be used against me. So it's been a pleasant surprise that it hasn't been. I agree. Some of the best men, most incredible minds, like mm-hmm. I, I, I will ever meet for sure. I will say like in crypto separately, like in DeFi and investing, it's, it's a shit show. That's a different story. <laughs> That's a whole different trader that's like a transactional human yeah 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 but but yeah um final question for you what is on the horizon with ardex code what are you looking forward to in the next year what do you want people to know about oh yeah so we actually have a lot of fun stuff happening um so finally expanding my team um i've come to the realization i can't do everything myself um so uh it's, it's been really wonderful uh you know we're we have a lot of really cool things um, in the works. I think a lot of really fun exhibitions coming for uh, next year. We're expanding our artist roster, which I'm very, very excited about um, and just happy to be able to like officially support these artists in ways um, that's meaningful to them. Uh, and again, always non-exclusive. We're there to support them on every opportunity that comes their way. So hit me up. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, yeah, lots of, lots of really cool things happening. And um, I'm just excited. I, I, Lots of work to do, uh, but I think it's going to be uh, really great in the end. So lots, lots to come. So you definitely keep keep an eye out. Arcticcode.io. Uh, good things coming. Breaking news.